Welcome to the Human Boom Box. I am your host, Megan Minty, and today we have a special treat for you, a new series that I like to call The Song Scuffle. Now, it's a very simple concept. We're gonna take two songs that are similar in a way, and we're gonna put them up against each other to see who would come out on top. Now, to do this, I have a very special guest with me today. I have known her since senior kindergarten, where she popped off my Barbie's head and put it in the play pot to burn alive. That's right, we're talking about my best friend, Some people call her Cass, some people don't call her Spoons, but we do call her Ricketts. Ricketts, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for uh, having me on the podcast. Oh, no, no problem at all. (laughs) Now, let me just touch on the boiling someone's Barbie's heads in a pot. Um, I have no recollection of this, but I suppose it happened. It did happen. Mrs. O'Keefe gave us both time out. It was... It was a sad day. But then we became best friends and everything was okay. That's how you make friends, people. Now, we're each going (laughs) to choose a side and choose a song. Now, the category today is the Battle of the 60s Folk Song. Now, Ricketts, who are you choosing to go into battle? I am scuffling with the Mamas and the Papas and their song, California Dreamin'. Ooh, she's brought out the big guns. All right, well, I am going to counter-scuffle you with a good old-fashioned Simon and Garfunkel, The Sound of Silence. Nice, nice. Now, each of us are going to, you know, battle our points, you know, in a very professional manner that, you know, we're known for. Yes, I'm Uh, using my work voice. This is Rickett's work voice, so she won't blow out the mic. (laughs) (laughs) But um, It's sad when you have a loud voice. You just can't help yourself, you know? This is what happens, you know? We spent a lot of time adjusting volumes. Um, So, and then at the end, we have a lovely scoring system that's going to help us decide this. So, let's jump right in. And being the, you know, good-mannered host I am, I'm going to start. So, let's start with The Sound of Silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence we all know it by the very first line hello darkness my old friend one of the best opening lines in music history i think do you ricketts I well, it's hard to say of all the songs that I've heard, but since this is now brought to my recent memory, I will definitely say yes. Um, it recalls the inner emo of the 2000s in me. Um, and you know, it just it makes you feel good in a dark way. That's right. The emo, uh, 
strange but fascinating breed that we grew with. <laughs> so let's let's hear a little bit about Simon Garfunkel, shall we? Simon and Garfunkel actually met in elementary school, quite like Ricketts and I. Ah, except instead of the boiling of heads, um, they formed a band, which mm. probably was a little more productive, but like whatever. Yep. That's their thing. They were originally called Tom and Jerry. Worst name ever, probably, for a duo, but, you know, they got to do what they got to do. It was 1950s Queens, New York. Now, Tom and Jerry... Was that already taken by the cartoon, or was this pre-Tom and Jerry? I would say this was post-Tom and Jerry. Um, so okay. even if they wanted to keep that, they couldn't have. It was copywritten, <laughs> right? So maybe a blessing in disguise, because eventually they would just go with their last names. You know, Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel. The big thing about uh, Simon and Garfunkel was that they had this on and off relationship, quite like a couple. Lovers, perhaps. Lovers. They were like lovers in a dangerous time, literally. Bare naked ladies reference. Nice. We are Canadian. That's what we do here. Now, um, I would like to compare them to, you know, maybe the Ross and Rachel, for any Friends fans out there, of the music world. Um, Just throughout the whole career, on, off, on, off. You never know. But at some point, they're going to get back together. The Sound of Silence was actually their very first hit and their very first single to come out. They recorded it in 1964 and released it on their first album called Wednesday Morning, 3 a.m. This was just an acoustic version, you know, just an acoustic guitar, them singing with the pretty harmonies. And they put on the album, they released the album, and the album sucked. It pretty much sold like 2,000 copies. And guess what they did, Ricketts? They broke up. That's right. They broke up because that's what they do. So while they were, you know, apart trying to do their own special things, um, a producer named Tom Wilson he started to rearrange the song. He put some electric instruments on top of it, kind of like an old school remix. Um, This was also done without their permission or consent. He just did it. And then Columbia Records, who was their record label, released that, and all of a sudden, it became a hit. And guess what they did, Ricketts? They got back together. That's right, they got back together. (laughs) So... Um, I mean, everyone knows Simon and Garfunkel for their other big hits like Mrs. Robinson, Bridge Over Troubled Water. The list continues. Eventually, they broke up for good, air quotes, in 1970. But throughout the years, probably to this day, they're old men now, but they went back and forth. You know, they'd get together for a special concert and then they'd be gone again. But no new releases. You can't you can't separate a duo like this, you know? It's like he's the he's the Simon to his Garfunkel. Most people would remember them probably for their work on The Graduate. Do you remember the movie The Graduate? I actually watched this movie um recently, like probably in the past couple months, and um 
know. When I was younger and I watched this movie, I sort of... Um, I thought it was like super cool and like edgy and I just I watched it again and it was just bad. It's not a great movie. No. Um, I think it's more nostalgic than anything. You know, we know it for the trope of the older woman with the younger man. Ooh, look at that. It's so sexy. Um, Mrs. Robinson type woman. But the movie itself not the best just kind of weird i mean i know this is not a movie podcast but it's just it's really weird um this older woman she you know seduces this younger man and they have their affair but then then he goes on to date the daughter of this woman and he ends up stealing her away from her wedding and sorry spoiler alert anyone hasn't seen the graduate in like 50 years but sorry um and it's just it's weird just weird so yeah, that's, that's my aside. That's messed up. We should do a movie podcast. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah, just just bizarre. But just you know bizarre. the music. But the music fabulous. was awesome. Um, this was actually the sound of silence was the very first song on this soundtrack, and then the director Mike Nichols he loved it so much that he got a couple other songs from them and um, wanted them to write a specific song for the movie which is, of course, Mrs. Robinson. And here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you will know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God bless you, please, Mrs. Robinson. Heaven holds a place for those who pray. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. But let's move on to you know, what I think about this song. Um, I think this song is based in those haunting lyrics. Like, literally, let's take the first line, because we all know it very well. So that Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, it actually came from Paul Simon. Um, He used to literally lock himself in a dark bathroom and sing to his friend, the darkness um the original emo the original emo i like to think that he was the godfather of the emos um he grew that bowl cut out right into the swoop over the eyes early 2000s and gave birth to them mm-hmm. that's the thing. um so he said that this was his safe place you know it's where he wrote actually most of his songs this song had also a lot of interpretations including that it was against the Vietnam War and many others. But Paul Simon himself said that it was about the silence of nobody speaking up. That was what was killing the world, which is a very true fact. I mean, it's a true fact song. He's just speaking truth. The other cool thing about the song is that it is all verses, no chorus, just five verses interesting yeah that is a hard song to write as a songwriter you know a hook is kind of like your bread and butter um you know you can always bring it back and that's what people will remember to write a song that is just verse is amazingly hard but they do it so so well and it still hooks you oh yeah which is interesting it's it's a very considering it's a kind of low tempo song it's kind of it's really catchy yes i <laughs> like, agree i like it 
All right. My um favorite um, line, I think, in here is in the third verse. It's when he says, people talking without speaking, people hearing without listening. Truer words have never been spoken Yep. in music. I, I don't know how many people out there, you're having a conversation with someone and you're not actually listening to them. You're just waiting for your turn to speak. It's the downfall of our entire world. Yes, much like um, social media these yeah. days where, I mean, does anybody... I mean, uh, you know, whatever. We don't know this as a true fact, but does anyone necessarily care what's going on with other people as opposed to just liking their photos and having people like their photos back? Where is the human behind the screen? Exactly. Right. That's, that's a quality right there. I like that. Yep. Um, also, another line says silence like a cancer grows. And it's, you know, it's talking about the world we live in. And it really doesn't age, this song. You can still relate it today to what's going on. It was there, of course, and then it was gone for a while. And then it came back with a vengeance. So um, I, as a music teacher, am always asking the youngins, you know, the youths, society since I'm an old lady now um, about you know I want to educate them I want them to know older songs so you know I'm always telling them oh have you listened to this you should try to listen to this and I asked my students do you know the song The Sound of Silence and the general consensus is huh right so I, I'm like you know that song it's like hello darkness my old friend And they're all like, oh, yeah, the meme song. And I'm, you know, it hurts my soul a touch, but at least they know it. So I'll take it. Um, So it came back this opening line originally in what was called the sad Affleck meme. Okay. 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 So for anyone who doesn't know what the sad Affleck meme is. Um, Which I now know what the sad Affleck meme is, because you did explain it to me a little while ago. I did. (laughs) And essentially what it is, is um, Ben Affleck was being interviewed um, about like Batman versus Superman. And the interviewer was like, how do you feel about like the box office being so low? Which is like, it's cruel (laughs) to say to someone. And he got the saddest look on his face, like someone just kicked his puppy And the screen just goes like black and white. And it's just, hello, darkness, my old friend. And then that carried on to, you know, every other meme that went along with it. So it is. As you should be sad. That's like someone being like, hey, so like you're ugly. How do you feel about that? It's like, great. I feel fantastic about being (laughs) ugly. So, you know, it's made a reemergence somewhat in newer times nowadays but it's a different approach you know we're not looking at the rest of the song I still have to get those students to be like okay well now listen to like all the other lines like they're great that's my fight for the sound of silence I I I think it's one of the not the greatest songs in the world but it is up high on my list so shall we continue on to Ricketts with California Dreaming. All the leaves are brown. 
right. So I wanted to start off initially by just throwing out a few facts about the group, maybe for people who've heard of the name and don't really know what's behind that. So the Mamas and the Papas were an American folk rock group that formed in Los Angeles. They recorded and performed from 1965 to 1968 and were largely considered the face of the counterculture of the 1960s. They skillfully adapted folk music to the new beat style of that era. So very interesting and typically I think when people think of the 1960s in terms of music, the mamas and the papas do kind of pop up. Definitely. So the group was John Phillips, Cass Elliott, Michelle Phillips, who was married to John, and Denny Doherty, who was a, well, I guess is, I don't know if he's alive, I think he might be dead, was a Canadian. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and they released five studio albums and 17 singles over the four years, and six of those singles made the Billboard Top 10, and they have sold close to 40 million records worldwide. In 1998, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Always a fun trip for anyone who hasn't been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's kind of tacky, but it's pretty cool just to check out and see, you know, even garments that artists you like have worn during performances. I mean, I saw the last time we were there uh, before COVID, I saw some costumes from Warped Tour. That was pretty cool. So That was 100% worth the visit to Cleveland the rock and roll hall of fame <laughs> it is worth it honestly like like i said it's a bit you know tacky but it's just it's something that you should do if you're a music lover it's just interesting to kind of see all that stuff that they have there how was the song california dreaming born into existence let's take ourselves back to 1963 <laughs> <laughs> for any wayne's world people out there <laughs> I didn't even catch on to that, but now I get it. (laughs) So Michelle was newly wed to John and they were living in New York City and it was a particularly cold winter. So John would walk around the apartment at night just working on some tunes. And one morning he brought the first verse of this song to Michelle. This is the one that we all know. All the leaves are brown and the sky is gray. I've been for a walk on a winter's day, da da da, and we finally get to California dreaming on such a winter's day. Nice. And uh, so, obviously, it, the first verse itself, and in general, the song, it was about the longing to be in another place, a warmer place, and it was also inspired by Michelle's homesickness. She was from sunny California, and this was her first winter in New York City. So um, I think overall, this is such a relatable concept. I mean, who out there hasn't fantasized or longs to change their circumstance? And also when we're sitting through another harsh Canadian winter, who doesn't want to be in sunny California? Oh, yeah. So especially this past winter with COVID (laughs) and everything, you know, that kind of went on, um, warm weather just feels hopeful. It feels alive. And changing your circumstance feels hopeful as well. A new city, new house, new friends. The possibilities are endless. And you can dream. Mm -hmm. You can't see those air quotes, but I'm quoting dream if you get my drift (laughs) to your heart's desire. The second verse, uh, Michelle was inspired by their visit to St. Patrick's Cathedral 
stopped into a church. I passed mm-hmm. along the way. John actually hated this lyric and he was really turned off by churches um, and all the unpleasant memories he had of parochial school. So, um, however, they couldn't actually think of anything better, so they left it in and the other members of the band liked this and so, yeah, it's kind of just there forever now. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So, what I found interesting is that initially... Um, after the song was written, they gave the song to their musician friend, Barry McGuire. He helped them actually get signed to their record label. And when he recorded this song, he had the Mamas and the Papas as his backing vocals. And his version appeared on his album, This Precious Time. And when the Mamas and the Papas recorded their version, they used the exact same instrumental backing track and erased his vocals. But it's been said that if you listen closely, I guess under the right circumstances, like... Yeah, if you brought it into the studio or something and like dissected it. Yes, you could hear his distinctive deep voice um, singing all the leaves in the background at the beginning of the first verse. Ooh, it's like a ghost vocal. <laughs> so if you have the technology and you want to test that out. Go check out that ghost vocal. Go check it out. Um, so one of the really cool and unique things about this song is that it has a flute solo. It's the best part of the song. Yep. I mean, you know, it's it's not often that you see someone jamming out on a flute. You, so You really don't. Like, just... Take a listen to this bomb ass flute solo. When the band was recording the song, they wanted a solo, but they didn't want the usual guitar solo. It's an alto flute, which is larger than a regular flute and plays at a lower register. A jazz musician named Bud Shank was the one who jammed that solo out. (gasps) Fun fact, Bud is the musician who can be heard playing saxophone on the TV series Mission Impossible. Bud was just jamming out, and what happened was essentially when they were recording the song, like I guess they didn't have a plan, and John walked into the hallway of the recording studio. Bud just happened to be there, and John said, okay, cool, come into the studio, take a listen to our our song. So Bud did, and he figured out kind of like the space that he needed to fill, and he nailed it in one take. So go Bud. Bud, he's underrated musician is Bud Shanks. Yep. (laughs) Or maybe he isn't and we just don't know about him. But either way, anybody who can jam out a flute solo in one take, good for you. You know, just on the fly. That's fantastic. So to wrap up California Dreaming, I would say to me, overall, I feel like the lyrics of this song are innocent and pleasant and um, just rather uncomplicated. And that's what makes it a lasting hit. 
I'm sure that you can find a deeper meaning as it relates to your own life, but the concept is quite simple. The song is centered on the narrator's dream, so it was written by John from the perspective of him, of Michelle, like seeing through her eyes. Um, so centered on the narrator's dream to spend time in California within the context of escaping a cold and dreary winter. The beautiful harmonies, they almost send chills up your spine and they're haunting in a good way. And it just really evokes something visceral. Like if you pop on this song, you almost feel like you're in a warmer place, if that makes sense. Like it just kind of envelops you. That's true. That is very true. It's like a, it's like the summertime, put it on in your car and go on a road trip song. Exactly. I think it's just calm and it has an inviting nature and it just makes you feel peaceful and happy. Um, When I first heard the song, I was in grade school and I had a fascination with my parents' vinyl. Um, I discovered the Mamas and the Papas records as I was going through their literal milk crates of vinyls. Uh, You know, classic parent trope. Their milk crates of records. (laughs) Um, And the sound just captivated me and it was so different than anything I'd ever heard before growing up in the 90s. So it it was brand new to me. Um, And it actually began my obsession with the 60s and then that went into the 70s as well. So those two decades, I just I found them so interesting, the music and culture. And it was very tumultuous, um, but it was always something that I had wished I could have been a part of. And I think part of that is just the fantasy of it. But um, it just seemed like an interesting time where a lot of the best music came out of those two decades I mean in my opinion but <laughs> it's it's up there definitely <laughs> I mean I remember you um you saying you're like man I wish I lived in the 70s like it was just growing up in the 70s while we were in the 90s <laughs> and I was like nah <laughs> I'm, I want to grow up in the 90s this was fun <laughs> I mean, yeah, like it just now, obviously, that I'm older and I know more about that time period, definitely don't think my personality um, and just ways of being, which obviously were influenced by, you know, the time frame that I grew up in. But um, if I were to just be popped back into the 70s, don't think it would drive that much. So in closing... Um, This song currently sits at number 89 on Rolling Stone's list of 500 greatest songs of all time and has been covered many times by other famous artists like the Beach Boys, Bobby Womack, Sia, the Carpenters. So I would just say that it's it's legendary. It's just one of those easy listening songs that most people recognize. And it's just a good time. Agreed. I it is a that's a harder choice. Now, I do, before we, we you know, scuffle, like who's in the scuffle, um, I have an interesting story that is unrelated to music, but I just, in my research, I thought it was, um, for, for any true crime junkies like myself, the connection between Charles Manson and the Mamas and the Papas, I just thought it was quite interesting, so kind of wanted to put it out there if anyone's interested in um researching more on it we love a true crime here (laughs) so back in the 60s um to use the terminology of that time if you weren't a square Mm -hmm. it was very accepted to be free and open and have an open door policy for whoever i guess 
yet another reason why living in the 60s would not have worked for me because I certainly don't have an open door policy. Um, <laughs> closed door policy. Please don't drop by unless you let me know you're coming. <laughs> um, so Mama Cass loved to host parties and have gatherings at her house and good old Charlie Manson would often drop by. Um, and the Manson family bus was also seen parked outside John and Michelle's house many a time. And John and Cass were actually supposed to testify at the trial of Charles Manson. And I guess Charles thought they were like super tight. And um, he thought that they would testify on his behalf. Ooh. Um, you know, uh, so they, however, began distancing themselves from him for good reason. Yeah. Um, and I don't believe they ended up testifying. But um, another thing is that Roman Polanski also thought that John from the Mamas and the Papas may have been responsible for Sharon Tate's death as revenge for him sleeping with his wife, Michelle. Ooh. So it's, uh, it's interesting. And I will say that doing research into the band, like I said, John in his own way was arguably in my opinion, on par with Charles Manson and being just a terrible human being. Um, you'll have to delve into that more yourselves if you want to, you know, kind of see what I'm talking about. But yeah, just not a great guy. And uh, it's just kind of, you know, intriguing to think like, what did the mamas and papas know about Charles Manson? Because Charles Manson attended John and Michelle's New Year's Eve party about eight months before the killings began. So, you know, was he the crazy guy at the party talking all this shit and everyone thought, oh, you know, whatever, it's just Charles, you know? Charles being Charles. Um, so it's just, you know, I wonder what they did know and if they did have to testify at his trial, what would have been said? Just some food for thought. I mean, interesting that, you know, I was supposed to have the darker song. <laughs> Yours is all like breezy and nice and they're just, you know, kicking it with a serial killer. Um, so, you know, you dig deep and things turn on their heads sometimes. So, um, I mean, both amazing songs, definitely. Um, but we do have to pick a winner. That's the thing. So as we know, music is objective. Something I may love, you may hate, and vice versa. It doesn't matter. Nothing is good and nothing is bad. It just is. And it's all in our opinion. But because we have to declare a winner, we're going to choose one that's better. So um, the fairest way I could think about to do this is we're going to go back and forth. We're going to give a point to each song for each of these three categories. So category number one is musicality. What does the music of the song encompass itself and how good is that? Number two is the success of the song. How successful it was in its time and does it stand the test of time. And then number three, obviously the most important, is our personal opinions. <laughs> because we have the microphones, so we have opinions. So let's go back and forth and try to declare a winner of this thing. So we're going to start with musicality. Um, Ricketts, you go first. Which song do you think has the better musicality in it? Um, You know what? 
I I don't know. I would say just based on sort of our discussion today, it seems like in terms of musicality, the sound of silence would probably get my vote because I feel like it's a little more creative. Not to say that like the musicians, let's say, um, on California Dreaming weren't like, you know, well known or like the backing wasn't good or anything, but just like what you said about the the song just being all verses, that kind of piques me a little more. Mm. It that is a hard one actually. Because <laughs> I was thinking about it and while the sound of silence does have like I mean, the harmonies in it are great. Um, and it does have that kind of build with all the verses. I kind of am leaning towards California Dreaming. And I think it's because of that flute solo. Like, I mean, who does a flute solo? It's just so good. True. And it's an instant, um, the music itself kind of takes you to the exact place that they want you to be. Right? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So, you know what? I, I think I'll I'll go for California Dreaming. <laughs> See, you've kind of swayed me as well, but I'm I'll stick with my original just so you know I'm not a turncoat. I'll I'll go with Simon <laughs> Stand and Garfunkel. Your ground. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so one to one. Apparently we both turncoated on our own songs immediately. <laughs> yeah. Um okay, success of the song. What do you think? Like who do you think is the more successful song? Um I mean, I definitely would have to literally look like if if we really for real wanted to compare other than just our opinions, sure. we would have to look definitely on which song I guess was more commercially successful. However, for the purposes of this podcast, yes. I am going to say that my vote goes for California Dreaming because I just I feel that um it, it, it would be more universally loved than The Sound of Silence. Like, it's more of a um, a song in, like, pop culture, if that makes sense, versus, you know, a little more indie, let's say, in uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Yep, yep. I... Oh, crap. This is hard. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we had big ambitions for this. Thought it was going to be super easy. It's actually really hard. Um... I mean, while California Dreaming, I would think in the time definitely that they both came out, I believe it was the more commercially successful song. Okay. And it does speak to the commercially successful because, yeah, Sound of Silence does sound kind of like an indie song. But Sound of Silence did the test of time thing. It came back. Whereas California Dreaming, I believe, is kind of stuck in that 60s Although, let me maybe throw oh, a wrench into she's this. She's going to throw a wrench. So apparently, this was something that I read that California Dreaming finally made it to a number one spot. Um, oh, God. Was it like 2010? It was sometime recently um, because a techno artist covered it right. in Germany and made it like, you know, a hit in recent days and I don't know like it's tough to say too because yeah tons of artists have covered both of the songs so it's true it is kind of it's a toss-up really I'm gonna go with Sound of Silence because I think it I think it captured maybe the test of time a little better but you know that's just me 
So, okay, so we're all tied. tied up. Damn it. Okay. So it comes down to this, the most important part. Personal opinion. From your gut, Ricketts, which is the better song? Okay. So I am going to have to go with Sound of Silence. And it pains me a little to say that because I do think that both songs are great and it's tough to pick between the two. But I would say that I am definitely more of a melancholy type of person. Um, I do like to be happy, of course. (laughs) But if I'm thinking of something that speaks to my soul it would definitely air on the darker side, so I'm going to have to go with Sound of Silence. The silence. Um, I'm going to have to agree with you. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Sound of Silence in the end, um, and somewhat for the same reason. While I love a happy jam, um, Megan, the human boombox, loves a dark song. It's just throw a minor key on it, and I'm all over it all the time. Um, and something about Sound of Silence is haunting. And it's like exactly like it hits me in my dark, funny bone. I don't know if that's a thing, but <laughs> sure, why well, not? Well, it's a thing now. It is. I made it up. Um, yeah, so I'm going to have to say gut appeal. I'm thinking Sound of Silence, Ooh. which means... Winner, Ganyo. The winner is Sound of Silence with a 4-2 to two win over California Dreaming. Nice. A quality scuffle, I would say. They they were uh, edging each other. We turncoated each other even yep. once. That yep. was pretty good. Now that we've, uh, we've had a winner for this first song scuffle, um, we will continue this series with two new songs with our very own song scuffle correspondent, Ricketts, um, in the near future. Remember to follow us on all the social medias, the Facebook, the Instagram, the Twitter, and all that. And you leave a comment on uh, which two songs you'd like to see me and Ricketts battle out to declare that very important question. I'd like to thank our guest, Ricketts, today for joining us for this song, Scuffle. Um, She will be back for many an episode, maybe one day you'll discover why she's called Ricketts. Until then, that's a minor mystery that you'll have to solve yep. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Any theories? Let us know. Thank you once again for listening. This is Megan Minty, and I am the Human Boombox. Mm-hmm.